let's 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 start over from the beginning and like let's just go over it. So okay. Hello everyone, welcome to my podcast. And today's guest is the fantastic Lachlan War- Warner, right? Warner. Warner. That he is related to Shane Warne, the Australian cricketer. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, yeah. No, he's he, he is <laughs> basically he's a very interesting guest today, and he he's going to let us know about the fantastic world of puppetry, ventriloquism, and of course clowning. And he's put them all together in a fantastic noodle soup. <laughs> wow! So, thank uh, you for that. That's a great. That's a, that's. I'm really glad that. Uh, we had to start this <laughs> again <laughs> because that really that that introduction was really a payoff. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, you're gonna put that in Edinburgh, are you? <laughs> yeah, that's it on my posters. Yeah, noodle soup, <laughs> a fantastic <Wonderful>. noodle soup. <laughs> so, how are you doing, Lachlan? What's been happening? How have you been entertaining your day? What's what's been what you've been doing since lockdown? Um. It's been all right, actually. I'm quite lucky. And uh, I've come home to stay with my family. And so I'm back in the West Midlands, which is not a very exciting place, but kind of appropriate for not doing anything. Um, and I'm working at the moment from home um, for a science museum, which is a bizarre, bizarre thing to have ended up happening. Um, but um, yeah, that's kind of filling my day at the moment. How? What, what do you do for the science museum? <laughs> do you get the puppets to teach student lessons? What's going on? No, I wish actually. Um, I've been, I was working there for a while in, in Bristol um, uh, for a few months before lockdown from January and then I was doing this kind of presenting job basically where it was mainly uh, facilitating kind of activities and like um, sometimes presenting kind of sciencey shows and telling stories and things. Um, and then lockdown happened and I've kind of had a weird uh, promotion with no pay rise. Um, and so now I'm doing kind of digital content production for them and having to plan lots of kind of online events and stuff um, for the meantime um, to kind of keep their audiences going. So it's kind of opening up a lot of new... Uh, new avenues for me which is pretty cool actually it's kind of been a big bizarrely a big learning time it's not a very chilled out lockdown compared to other people's I think and most other people within the kind of organization okay. are on furlough so it's kind of funny to just be one of the few people holding up <laughs> an organization now Hello. Hello. <laughs> I missed most of that. All I, you were doing bits like you just. All I got was that you did some presenting in Bristol. You're gonna okay. have to go through that <laughs> bit again. Okay. Um, was that me or you? Do you know that just cut off then? I'm worried that. Uh, I don't know. Let me just check. I mean. Oh, God. 
let's try I'll, I'll test something out um, it could no it should it's it should be it's okay so far i'll double check okay. the internet my phone a dial yeah it worked so okay so all good um, um yeah what was i where was i uh, yeah, so I started doing some, yeah, 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 kind of presenting um, science shows and stuff in Bristol uh, at this museum and then lockdown happened and I kind of ended up getting this accidental unpaid promotion, um, just, um, uh, well, no pay rise and just kind of making digital content for them. So now it's kind of opened up loads of weird um, avenues, I guess, for me as a kind of producer and learning a lot of skills in kind of kind of banal stuff in marketing and all of that stuff but like really useful for me actually in 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 my own work um but yeah just kind of learning to make online events and stuff for them and um my big kind of my big job for the last few months has been running um fortnightly <laughs> online toddler activity mornings which actually the clown stuff that I've done has been ridiculously useful for because it meant just like making up stupid songs and kind of um guiding really silly activities and yeah it's kind of been a funny time of like realizing that toddler audiences are very very similar to drunk adult audiences <laughs> um not a lot of difference there <laughs> really oh. Oh, I think so just just like Realizing, yeah, the kind of stuff that kind of makes people laugh as, as a clown, at least, maybe not so much for stand up um, stuff, but like within the kind of clown stuff, it's like, oh, the clown stuff just might be like slightly dirtier or slightly more, um, slightly more dark or slightly weirder, maybe. But you, it's just about pushing it that little bit further, I think, for adults. Kids also like this like stupid, stupid kind of playing that doesn't necessarily have any point and yeah it, it kind of all comes from a pretty similar place i think hmm. it's so you yeah well, what's um so you've you've had an interesting sort of what, what's um i mean we met in Goliath like a few months back and so you would you so you you say now that you're mostly so you've written a book on being <laughs> like in both sides of the pond uh, <laughs> you've um yeah you've written a few books and you've also you've done numerous sort of fun shows with your puppet and mm -hmm. uh, tell us about that story how did you come into being you being a puppeteer um it's such a weird one i learned it when i was i learned to do ventriloquism when i was like seven um and the reason was really i'd loved like growing up had loved Jim Henson and the Muppets and that had been like the thing that made me want to be on stage I think in the first place but then also kind of as I got older and, and YouTube kind of was just a thing when I was like seven years old I guess um, or at least it kind of just was for me and then I suddenly had this like world of being able to see other people doing ventriloquism um, online and was like I should learn to do that that's amazing that's the best thing it's kind of like that weird like, when people sort of ask me now to teach ventriloquism I'm always like I'm not sure because it's one of those things where you learn as a kid and it stays with you but you're not sure how you it's sort of a weird resilience that means that, that kids have where they're just like I want to do something so I'm just going to learn to do it 
Um, and I don't know if I, if I was to try and learn it as a 21 year old now, I don't know that I would have the kind of determination to like really stick in it. Um, but yeah, I just kind of picked it up and learned it and then started performing with it when I was about 10 or 11. And, um, and I just don't, I don't know why it's endured. I think I, I should have probably grown out of it. It's one of those things that's just so kind of almost too twee to do as a grown up, I think. And it's just kind of on the border of like, it's probably time to grow up and do some adult comedy. But actually, I just, I, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. It seems like this is what I'm still doing. Um, and then, yeah, I kind of um, did start to have a, a period of wondering why that was what I was doing. And I think I did some, I did a, a show, which I did at a couple of fringes in 2017. And I didn't have a very good time doing it and felt that I was like, really slipping towards just wanting to kind of direct and not wanting to do the ventriloquist stuff within a show and um yeah it just felt like it was becoming this kind of heavy thing that, that I didn't have a lot of joy in anymore and then I went to Gollier and decided I just needed to kind of do a thing that would make me funny I guess and also make me figure out how to just have my own fun um which thankfully the school did do for me like that kind of it did give me that to be around the people that you meet at the school anyway but also just yeah Philippe's Philippe's stuff kind of did work for me um to some extent I think and it kind of did open a lot of doors and um I feel like I kind of uncovered this thing where I started reevaluating the idea of a, of a clown being a ventriloquist and this idea that like, maybe I'm not an actual ventriloquist. Um, maybe my pleasure is in kind of playing every stereotype of a kind of ventriloquist who hides behind a puppet and this person who's kind of silent um, and doesn't speak to themselves. And then it's really a big payoff for the audience to see that person come out of themselves and be a clown and, and be an idiot themselves with no puppet. And, and the audience are then really excited to see that kind of human emerge and be an idiot themselves um so that's kind of what I've been playing with for the last like year or so um which I think seems like quite a wanky thing to say to be like I'm not really a, a ventriloquist I'm a clown who pretends to be one because I am and I still <laughs> I do ventriloquism um but it's yeah it's kind of I'm, I'm kind of learning to love it again from a slightly different lens I think what um so what's the how does it work in terms of ventriloquism how like what are some principles that you apply when you're doing it because it's more than just as you said stick your your hand up a doll and like in Jurassic Park with the poo whatever the triceratops it's more than that yeah I don't know I, it, it's weird because it doesn't really feel like more than that to me I think at this point um I think I've been doing it for so long that it feels like it's just this really stupid thing and um, when people I like when people after a gig will sort of really pick up on that to me and be like how did you not move your lips how do you do that how do you do that I'm always like slightly I think a bit yeah grumpy about it because I feel like I'm going I'm, I offered so much I was really funny and I did this and I did this and all you care about is me not moving my lips um, but actually I like that is obviously a very important part of it and um, it's sort of like it's like learning another language I think which is again why I think I could do it as a kid but maybe wouldn't have the patience to do it now is um it's just learning how to like substitute all those letters that you would use your lips for 
once you've kind of mastered like, oh, B is a, a G and an M is an N and a P is a K and all those things. And you just, when you've done it for long enough, it starts to be this kind of second language, I think. And then you just have kind of free reign to find a puppet or a character or whatever that kind of complements you. It's just finding something which, uh, as long as you kind of have a, like, I think a sense of self and knowing I look this way to an audience. The audience sees me as this kind of character when I'm on stage. So I need something which really counters that, something which kind of gives that com contrast and a sense of kind of um, a, a kind of playful image, I think is all that's really important to start off with, something which is really silly. So I have this witch character. She's kind of my, the one that I've been working with for the longest and seem to have kind of the silliest relationship with, I guess. Um, and I guess the counter there is that she's an old lady and I'm a young boy and she kind of will just scream and she's huge and kind of big and feathery and extravagant and she just shouts and kind of is this egomaniac. And then it's really fun for me with that to kind of play tiny, tiny, bashful, kind of doesn't ever want to speak gauche character that, that she can really counter. And as long as you kind of have that kind of ridiculous contrast, I think you're kind of on the right lines but it's important that the ventriloquist is sort of as much of a character I think um it's not about just like learning to do because if I I feel like a lot of ventriloquists don't don't kind of play themselves when they're on stage and it feels like they really I don't know why they're there sometimes I feel like why are they why are they not just doing kind of Jim Henson and getting under a table and <laughs> just doing some puppetry if, if I think you are as important as the puppet always always kind of that's one of the kind of big mechanics that I guess is kind of a secret to when it's done well, I think, is that the ventriloquist should be as present as the puppet. So the, the main point, so the main point I've got there is that the ventriloquist has to be what with the puppet? Has to be one with the puppet or has to be, there has to be conflicts, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess not. Yeah, not one. I think opposite. I think play. Be aware that you're too, like really get into the mentality of like we're two separate entities. I think enjoy like being that kind of split a bit split down the middle. It sounds mental. It sounds like I'm absolutely insane. Um, but enjoy the kind of thing of being like this is a totally different character. This is a totally different side of me and I get to play half of myself and this is the other half and split yourself up a bit. It's quite fun. But what are sort of like three bullet points, and I mean in bullet points, mm. sort of things that people should look behind the curtain when it comes to ventriloquism? Um, mm. Okay, um, okay. One is the character moving when the ventriloquist is talking. That's a good one, because if not, it looks the puppet looks dead. That's really a good way to tell if someone's doing well. Um, to do you forget that the do you think that do you think the ventriloquist believes that the puppet is real? That's a good one. Because if they if they're believing it, the audience is believing it. That's a really good way to if they're really in the fantasy of believing that they're being two people, then the audience will believe that too. Um, three Ah, kind of behind the scenes, I'm thinking what's behind the scenes. 
Um, is the voice different? I guess that's a really basic one, but but it does it sound like the same voice coming out of two people? Because that's kind of a really uh, is it like it's it's very simple and it seems like it's a really simple thing uh, that anyone could kind of do and it and it is really that's the truth is that it is just a, it's a child's game um, but children do different voices children know how to play with different voices if they want to have different characters and personas so like it's a simple way to to make people believe an illusion I guess so yeah is the voice different enough. What's what um one thing I do want to ask you about is I never got to do the clowning or the but I had to come back man march. And mm. um, what's what is it like when you do the sort of a show in the Philip Golia school? Oh that's a really funny one because I I remember thinking like it's not we our class were very good at being like, it's not important. The show is not the end goal. Um, and it's not a reflection of what you've learned either. That's a really important thing to, I think, remember if you if you get to do a show um, at Gollier, it's really good to remember that if, you're, if you have nothing in the show, that doesn't mean you've been bad or turned. It doesn't mean that you haven't learned loads. It doesn't mean you haven't progressed loads. Um, it's just about like, it's a weird competition to try and get things into the show it can feel really intense. It can feel like you're really like up against your classmates or that you have to prove that you've learned loads by being in the show. But the experience of being in the show is amazing because it, you get notes every day. Um, every day you come off the stage and people's numbers get cut and people's numbers then get put into the show. The show changes every day and um, that is a really and it's really cool to go and see the shows i was really lucky to um get to watch a lot of shows while i was in first year at gollier as well and if you go every night or go like three or four times you will really see everything evolve in a way that is so kind of rapid and just it's extreme it doesn't really happen that way in the real world but it's a really kind of um accelerated version of the way that a show evolves and it's really cool to go like the first even just go from the first night and then go again on the last night of the show and see those huge changes that have been made it's so exciting because you see um how numbers just get either reduced down to two minutes when they started as seven minutes or like or the opposite something that started as a kind of tiny little image that someone did for two seconds on stage then becomes a whole number and um it's really, really cool to kind of be, it's a cool way to see the process just put in front of you and learn from just getting to watch that kind of unfold. Um, but also I, I kind of have a funny experience with like ending on clown and doing um, my, my show being the clown show because I had no clown numbers in the clown show um, and didn't get to do any clown <laughs> in the show. And instead I kind of, um, any anyone who's listening who knows about kind of Gollier and the clown shows that he do they they have this kind of funny format where there's always a presenter and um the presenter is kind of meant to be like a circus ringmastery kind of cabaret mc character and it's always sort of 
they have to be very charming and it can be uh, there could be madame or monsieur royale they're always like there's one or the other and sometimes both but they're kind of this like sexy they're meant to be these like sexy people who present the clown show um and I ended up doing that, which I just was so not what I went to do the school for. So I guess my takeaway from doing 10 weeks of Clown at Gollier is I'm not funny, but I am sexy. <laughs> That's all I got. I went through a few of the same things as you did because you worked for um, Daniel, I believe, for the tour guide. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that like? Oh, so fun. And such a good, like, such a cool kind of counter experience to doing, um, to doing the school as well, where you, like, it is a funny thing where every day you're in front of another, every single day you're in front of another group of strangers and and you suddenly from doing kind of Gollier stuff you're very aware of like maybe they think I'm this maybe they're perceiving me as this maybe I'm this maybe I'm this. and like just this kind of funny game that you're playing with yourself of being like what if today I I think it's it's really tempting when you're a tour guide to kind of be like what if today I do an accent for the whole time or what if today I do this the whole time and just kind of play these stupid games with yourself um but it's it that was one of the most fun I don't think I'll ever have a job again or not a kind of a job outside of the arts I don't think I'll ever have again that is as like feels like as much of a fun playtime I think it's like it's a stressful job too sometimes but like the getting to just meet another group of people every day is so fun and such a lovely like way to especially actually I would say the school is such a weird bubble and um and you're in such a weird like it's just socially a bit messed up um, to be in that weird tiny bubble of the school all the time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really good to do a job like that where you're staying in reality as well, and you're like, oh yeah, I'm meeting normal people who work normal jobs, who are talking to me about their jobs in finance and you know in marketing and all this stuff. They're just coming on holiday and they're just having their holiday in Paris, and it's just like that's such a good way to stay grounded. That's such a good way to to kind of stay in touch with like oh yeah this is the real world this is like we're not all crazy clowns and performers from all over Europe and whatever we're actually you know it's a group of pretty normal people that you get to meet and yeah that's nice what what was the worst and weirdest experience you had being a tour guide oh my god I think I have lots of weird ones I the weirdest one and maybe the worst was we so I went to I had a night out at Cafe Du one Friday and I kept saying like, I'm going to go home. And because of living in a trashy, I, I kept being like, I'm going to go home. I'll get an Uber at some point. Like I'll go home. I'll bow out at like 11 or I'll, I'll okay. Okay. No, now I'll bow out at like 12. Now I'll go home at this time. And then just didn't and just stayed out until like 5am and then had to catch the train to Paris at seven. And like, um, so I did a tour where I was still pretty much, hammered from the night before um but just had to be like a walking corpse and like it's so funny to be like doing the like charming like hello i'm lachlan welcome to the tour blah 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 this is Montmartre. this is blah 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 just like just just doing paris and being really trying to be as enthusiastic as possible about like the city but also being like i don't know if i'm gonna like fall down i don't know if i'm gonna <laughs> throw up somewhere i'm not sure what i'm gonna do now like all these people 
And I think it was one of the biggest groups I'd had as well. I'm pretty sure it was like 20 something people and, you know, trying to get them like on and off of metros and things when you're just like hanging. It's just <laughs> it's like one of the most painful, but also hilarious experiences. And I, I think on that same tour, there was a giant panda at the Eiffel Tower. Uh, someone dressed as like a huge panda. And I was still pretty drunk. And I was like, guys, someone, just all these strangers on my tour was just like, someone needs to take a picture of me with this big panda. Cause I, this is like, <laughs> this is this is gonna make my day to have this picture after this. Uh, making tourists who I'm meant to be taking their picture and making them take pictures of me with a giant panda. They're trying to get their pictures with the Eiffel Tower. And I was more interested in having a picture with a huge panda. It was very unprofessional, but it was a really fun tour. And I think towards the end, I maybe told a couple of them, I was like, I actually was really drunk when this tour started. <laughs> and they were pretty on board with that. They thought it was kind of a funny story. So I got away with it. But uh, I mean, I found it, I was going to start it, but then the, then the lockdown started. Oh then, man. And the thing is, I, I still didn't remember most of it, some of it. So I wouldn't have just winged it. Yeah. Did you wing it a lot? Oh, you when you start, you definitely wing it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you start, you wing it a lot. It's like, um, but it's funny how much you learn. I've got now, so I did it for, I think, maybe just over six months. And I feel like now I've got all this completely useless knowledge of Paris that I'm never going to use again. I'm just never, ever going to need in my life. Um, and it's the weird stuff that you have to learn. You think it's the stuff that, like, you learn on the tour and it's the history that you need to learn. And it's weirdly not, it's, it's all the weird questions that people ask you that you really have to learn that instead. Cause you find that people ask the same stupid questions all the time. People will be like, where's the best place to get a sandwich in Paris? And you're like, now I've got to research where's the best place to get a sandwich in Paris so that next time someone asks this, I've got an answer. Um, it's just really stupid stuff that you end up picking up. Um, but yeah, the tour, like, I, yeah, when I, when I learned it at first, definitely a lot of winging it. And I remember feeling really bad about, like, kind of making up answers to questions and being like, oh, God, they're going to know. They're gonna, there's going to be a historian or something on the tour or a teacher or someone that's going to be like, that's bullshit. That's not true. And be like, ah, sorry. Um, but it's, I think as long as you, like, you could, you could get away with saying something that isn't quite true the first time someone asks that question as long as then you go and research it and learn it for the next time that's the, like that's the way to get around that i think is always being like i'm going to forgive myself for sort of making something up now but next time i need to know and, and what about um what about the travel like telling like when you're directing people and all that because that yeah that was yeah that I, again that's one of those things where like disasters do happen and you and it's good it's kind of a good exercise in like resilience actually and being like you can be fun for so long as a tour guide but then you've got to like you do have to kind of go into a state of then being like I'm now like I sound like a teacher or something and I'm having to like tell off a bunch of American 50 year olds or something you know like you have to then go into that state of being like no if you don't like get on the train quickly or you don't do this quickly, one of you is going to get left behind. Like it's, it's, you kind of have to be a bit stern and, and also then be a bit brutal about like, if someone does get lost being like, I'm going to carry on with the tour. You can meet us at this point. Or like, you're going to have to like catch us up here. And you can't like, cause otherwise you end up doing a lot more than you're being paid for. 
and like people will will take advantage of that it is like any customer service thing where you just have to get into this headspace of like i'm not going to give more than i am meant to be giving right now mm. um so yeah it's quite tough because people do get lost and obviously accidents happen with especially with the metro and the paris metros are just crazy and they can be really full and french people don't know how to move out of the way <laughs> very often and um there's a lot of that that happens where you have to be you have to tell that to people you have to kind of explain that to americans which is really awkward having to be like then like they're not going to move for you those people are they don't understand like <laughs> spatial awareness <laughs> when they're on a train they're not going to move out of your way you have to just kind of be a bit pushy with them otherwise they're not going to move and it, it's yeah it's quite a weird like i don't know weird crash course in like navigating the city with people and having to just make them kind of barge their way through and it's a bit it's a bit um what's it called i mean a lot of robberies as well i remember i was doing the training for the tour guide and then one of the guys has his phone um stolen oh so one of the things is the tour starts in one of the least recommended areas in paris mm. Mm. i look did a bit of research and that is that is supposed to be one of the dodgy areas in paris yeah 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 it's it's you have to be i yeah I, when when i was doing the kind of i mean say training we kind of go on like a couple of tours um i i always wondered why daniel kind of didn't speak about it a little bit more and i kind of started learning to to do that and having to just be a bit more explicit about like when going through metro stations just sh shouting about it and it's something that actually french people will do a lot is if they see someone pickpocket someone they'll just be like that person is doing that and then they just like it just you just call it out and it's this weird thing or even if you see someone who's suspicious and looks like they're going to it's having to even if they're not even if they're someone who isn't going to pickpocket anyone it's just having to be like everyone i think this person is going to pickpocket or like um yeah it's weird it's a weird like it is weird. I was really lucky, actually. I think only in like six months of doing it, I think it only happened on my tour about four or five times, I think. Uh, like it was it was fairly rare, actually, that anyone had anything stolen um, on my tour. But I did have to make a lot of points of being like, don't keep your stuff in your pockets. Don't like just just yeah, just again, it's like treating people like children a little bit and having to explain the obvious, I think. But like they learn pretty quickly if you're like yeah that will happen and sometimes you're lucky that they've seen other people get pickpocketed as well and then they really do learn the hard way but saying that I lived you know I lived there for however long and I, I, I never got pickpocketed in like six months of, of working in uh, yeah it's it's I think if you are super alert you you're all right. So I think for people that don't know what we're talking about, uh, basically there's a tour guide company run, well, it's an offshoot of a big tour guide company and he works for his friend in France. Um, what's, what's the name of the company again, Tour? I don't even, I, I don't even know and I worked for them. I, the, the, it was called like Paris Top 30, or Top 30 Tours, I guess, is I think the name of maybe both. Um, uh, let's look it up, Daniel Pearson. Uh, front Paris tour guide. Let's have a look. <laughs> Paris. 
Paris, Daniel Pearson, San Francisco travel tour. <laughs> I think, no, it's Top Sites tour, isn't it? That's like what Top it, Sites, yeah, 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 something like that. Top, top 30 tour. Sites or Top Sites tour, yeah. Um, yeah, and he's, he's, he's an ex-Golia student, like he's married and he's fell in love with Paris and he's, he's a nice guy, he's, he's a bit of a gentle giant, I'd say. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. He's all right, and yeah, but he, he no, I'm not going to say any more because he's a nice guy, but um, yeah, he, no, because, that, oh, now I've got myself an official, but look, it's, <laughs> he runs a great company, he runs, look, he's a nice guy and he, employs a lot of Goliath and Lecoq students to be tour guides. And it's yeah, it's very a, cool. It's a really cool job to do. It is a really cool job to do alongside the schools, I think. Either of the schools. I met like a few cool Lecoq people as well um, doing it and got to like train a couple of Lecoq people by having them on my tour. And, um, and just, yeah, in every way, it, it kind of is a great way to social. Because when you're in another country, it's just really difficult to like make friends um, and like and stay as social as you would if you were in London. Um, so it's just really, it's a, it is a really useful way to like be meeting people all the time and not be like in this weird bubble of a tiny town, um, to the yeah. south of Paris. And also it's a great place for meeting American people and having sex with them. Is that something that's <laughs> happened? <Is> that... <laughs> Have you got a story to tell? <laughs> No, 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 no. But I mean, what's it called? They, they, there's a lot of Americans on tours and they like the English accent. And That is true. That is true. I did get flirted a lot with. So when that I. That is. Mm, that's training. pretty cool. So that's. that's. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, You do meet some cool people. And American elderly people tip bloody well. <laughs> it's really nice how really? much they want to just chuck you their money. Absolutely. They are so funny at like. And, and always I'd have my best days when there'd be like one nice old lady from america and at oh. the end of the tour she'd go oh sweetheart we just love you here we want to give you this and hand you like a 20 euro like a 20 euro note and then everyone on the tour suddenly then starts like reaching for their pockets and being like oh god i guess we have to tip as well and it's brilliant you end up with like walking away with like 70 euros in hand and just like you're like thank you old lady but it's a bit like I mean, come on, you look very young. So you look like, so you probably remind them of a grand <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, you have to play I'm on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They and do want to be like, my granddaughter's studying, or my grandsons, my grandchildren are studying acting too. They're at a theatre school too. And you're like, brilliant. <laughs> Live vicariously through me. <laughs> and of course, I mean, yeah, you got the English accent. They like the English accent. And I mean, I think, of course, you, you, you know, obviously you did pull, didn't you? So there you go, there you go. Pull everybody, pull everybody on those tours. Yeah, it is nice. It's a good time. You meet, yeah, very nice people. The the one one thought I do have to say about us, the school as a whole, though, like everyone in the south of Paris, like most of the people don't really learn French, and that's a bit much. That like if you that is that really is... crap. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. I am always embarrassed. Oh, I was, especially after first year, because I kind of came back to the UK for a few months when I finished first year. And I'd barely been to Paris even, really, in the whole of first year. I'd been like only, a, I mean, I've been a lot, but not as much as obviously I did when working there. And it is, everyone was like, oh, you, you've learned French now. And it's so embarrassing to be like, no, no one at the school speaks French. Uh, I, I haven't picked up anything. I've tried, but when no one's really talking it to you except 
you know, except Jean Francois at Cafe du Depart. Um, you're not picking up anything. You have to like really work hard to learn. But whereas, yeah, when I when I was tour guiding, then suddenly you're just doing it more. You're just actually speaking the language because you kind of have to, and um, you pick up. Quite, I still am not fluent by any means, but like it is kind of crazy how much I picked up in the space of like a few months from not being in the Gollier bubble. <laughs> Yeah, I, I actually, fine, this is not going to, I don't really care, but I actually enjoyed, I, when I first went to went to Goli, I went for a couple of weeks before the school started, and I actually enjoyed the weeks before the school started more than the school itself. Oh, I came to study the art course, but that's, look, yeah, I don't really care. I mean, it's 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 a bit, um, I like the course and all that, but I'm not, let's not go into, fine, I started it, so I may as well say it. Yeah, 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 go for it. Go with everyone in the school, and that's it. Mm. It's not really, that's just the way it is. Mm. Um, but it's a weird, it is weird. I, I have to say, I, I kind of had, maybe you had a similar thing to me where I had a really nice class in first year, and I really loved a lot of people, and I came to really love a lot of people. It took me quite a while, though, and I did come to love a lot of people. Whereas because I took like a lot of time out, I actually did. I did clown with a different class than I did first year with. Um, and, and I really felt that actually I gelled with so many more people quickly in the, in the class that I was in then. It's a weird thing of like, sometimes you get a, just a weird class. And I think that does happen at Gollier where you're like, I just don't gel with this group. I just like, don't feel that these are the people that I'm gonna find that, especially what it's, you're really more aware of it because Philippe keeps talking about like, is there complicity? Are you having fun with these people? Do we feel that you're really having fun? And you're like, no, I don't think I am. Like, I don't think I'm having any fun. I don't, I don't know. I'm not, I'm kind of struggling to, to have that. I think I had that as well when I first moved, I moved um, in October, 2017. And I had the same thing where like, the few weeks before school started were amazing. And I remember having that same kind of thing of being like, I love this beautiful place. I'm so happy to be in this beautiful, like this, it's so quiet here, it's so peaceful. And then going into Paris and having amazing times in Paris and being like, I love Paris. I love everything about this. I'm just exploring, I'm having kind of adventures on my own. And then the school starts and you're suddenly in this weird social bubble and you're like, I don't know that I, I'm having a lot of fun with this. I don't, yeah, it, it's, it can be, and it's too sort of intense and, People form cliques also very quickly within the school. Um, and it can be really, I think it can be really hard to like, remind yourself that you don't want that sometimes and be like, oh, I didn't, I, like, I didn't come here to make, a, to form a clicky group or anything like that. And I'm quite happy to not be in that bubble. Well, it's it's it, and also, also it's a place where a lot of the more it's it's a bit like a orgy sort of um, what's it called? <laughs> Everyone all having sex with each other and like, yeah, and your turn. <laughs> yeah, we've been actually. This is something that I've been talking about with a few friends from the school quite a bit recently. Is that um, in light of recent conversations within comedy about um, kind of rape culture and stuff this it puts the school in a really bad light too because there is a lot of weird it's weird the relationships that people have and the, the kind of weird sexual um 
I don't know. It's everyone's just horny, and it's just it leads to it being like a really weird place when you're like everyone is horny, but there's just this bubble of people. That's all there is, and like, what are you gonna do when you <laughs> like you're just moving from person to person? It it does feel like a bloody weird orgy, and it's like that isn't like a normal. You have to remind yourself that that's not normal, and go out into Paris and like hook up with people there if you want to have sex because it's just like get out of that weird orgy bubble <laughs> you need to not be in it yeah I, I didn't really get involved too much but uh, it wasn't um yeah i don't know it's, it's funny in a way when i hear this this that what's it whatever's going on it's funny in a way yeah but, um what's it called I, and but yeah cafe jew is basically for anyone that doesn't know what the girl is called cafe jew is where what happens is that they snog and they do all this bit and then everyone goes back to each other's houses and then that's what happens. That's and then it. a week after they swap partners and then yeah. it happens again. And a week after... But it's, it's weird because it's not even a... Um, it's not a a bar. It's a cafe. <laughs> so yeah. it's really weird. It's, it's this cafe that becomes this like weird... Also, it becomes not even... It, again, it's very like anachronistic it doesn't feel like it's from the 21st century it feels like it's some weird like discotheque from the 80s or something as well it doesn't feel like a modern bar it's like a it's a weird night spot which is like a disco in a cafe um and yeah everyone just gets off with each other and goes to each other's houses and um <laughs> yeah and and i go home alone and, <laughs> and wonder why i'm in france <laughs> No, I, I, I'm pla I think I want to move over there for a bit anyway, because it's oh, cool. move there to master the language. More yeah, than. yeah, worth it. Yeah. But, um, what else is there? Um, do you see, you see? Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to talk what's going on in comedy. I mean, it's a bit. Mm. I I I'd say say one thing that David Riley, the Irish comedian, that sort of prompted this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was an all right guy because when I went over to Dublin uh, last year in January, he helped me out of a couple of gigs and he seemed like oh, a really wow. nice bloke. But then <laughs> you find out about yeah. he did all this and that. It's sad. It's sad because I think that's going to be the case with a lot of people in the next kind of few weeks as the conversation goes on. And even if we, I mean, we're guys. So even if we're not aware of it, I think what will happen is we will just stop seeing people at gigs post lockdown and it'll be this weird thing of being like oh that guy doesn't get booked anymore okay mm, interesting okay I think it'll be a thing of being like oh man I thought that was a nice guy never mind don't see him anymore um I, I just think and uh, you know I think it's a good time it's a good, like I think it's a good time to be having the conversation and I, I, I'm kind of I don't feel equipped to talk about it either I think I'm the same as you in that it's like it's not what you know what can I really adds that's constructive to the conversation besides like i'm just angry and sad about these men and just sort of really wishing that um wishing that this wasn't having to be a conversation we're having at all and i guess it's just good that we're having it now and it means that hopefully comedy is a better safer place afterwards i really hope um that it is but I also think you can sometimes tell from people's comedy what kind of people they are. And it's and I also feel a bit guilty for not already having 
I mean, I'm not generally speaking, saying this, I'm in such a bubble of like uh, women and queer people anyway, that maybe I just wouldn't be having those conversations with people. But like the types of comedians who I think you're hearing things about now, I think sometimes their comedy already told you what they, how they felt about women anyway. And you, and it's just us being like, haha, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. Always, always, always until a point. And then you go, oh, oh, I see. I, I don't think, I think they are actually not a good person. What, do you, do you actually buy some of the nice, the, well, I, 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 I sort of, I didn't, I thought he was all right, the Irish guy, but ne didn't necessarily, yeah, I, I mean, come on, like at the school and like at Golier and do, do you, what, do you buy a lot of the, the fake niceness of a lot of people? I don't know that I buy it. I guess you, because you know who your friends are and you know who, you know who's actually in your corner, I think, in comedy. I think it's really easy. I think people are much more transparent than they think they are very often in in comedy. I think it's really easy to be like, that person is genuinely in my corner or on my side. And I, and I know that that person is someone that I genuinely trust. But that doesn't mean that the people that you don't trust are not going to be useful for you and it's just a really weird thing of having to be like that person uh runs a good night that person runs a good night or they're successful and they're not someone that i think would have my back if i were to report something or if this thing happened or if i was to say that something serious was going on or if i needed something i don't know if that they would or even if i want help even if i just want help with something even if i'm just saying can you help me out with fringe accommodation they probably wouldn't help me but it's just this thing of being like but they'll give me a gig maybe whatever and learning to kind of take it with a pinch of salt when people are not those when they are when it is false nicety and when there is like it, it, i don't know it's learning to maintain yourself as a business while also having an awareness of who is your friend in that you're, world you're sounding like a politician mate <laughs> yeah well people are shit all right i'll say it how it is people are horrible um yeah, there are horrible people in it. There are horrible, horrible people in it. And um, it's not, I think that false nicety is coming down. I hope. I hope it's something which is falling down with this time. I don't know what's going on. It's a bit madness. Like, it's going on and not like, there's this person coming, that person, like, they're all saying this and that. I don't know what's, what's happening. It's just, it's all, look, to be honest, I felt guilty of some of the social mistakes I make. But now I feel a lot better. Now I feel, oh, at least I'm not, now I feel, at least I'm not doing anything that bad. <laughs> at least my conscience yeah. is clear. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know, yeah. Did you hear, um, God, I don't know who it was. Someone on, there was a comedian I heard talking about this, a guy. And he made this really lovely point where he was just like, it's only so long before one of your friends gets assaulted and if you and and i know that these people are your friends sometimes and it's really difficult to see it but like it's only so long before you go nah i saw i saw these signals come in i saw that this person was that kind of person and because i'm a nice guy because i'm one of the people that hasn't done anything like that it's really easy for me to just like not to not say anything about that person even if it's just having a conversation and being like hey maybe the way you spoke to that maybe the way you spoke to that 
woman when she came off stage wasn't all right maybe the way you did that wasn't what do you think like just opening that conversation with the guys i don't know i don't know it's something it's something it's... so are you are you looking to transition to being a stand-up comedian with all with with clowning and puppetry i i don't know about that i think i like i do it within stand-up it's funny because actually in a in like in this country especially about 80 percent of the gigs that i do are stand-up gigs and it's a weird thing to like go and be like i know now that i'm going to really stick out like a sore thumb by coming in with a puppet and and doing something that's totally not about intellect and is totally not about me saying something funny it's all just bloody idiocy and me standing here and and making a fool of myself but there's just not enough like alternative comedy gigs there there aren't in, like there isn't a market wide enough within the cabaret or alternative comedy world to like be always doing those gigs especially not in london if you're if you're anywhere else but london um you just have to do lots of stand-up gigs i guess but i don't think it's that kind of out of place actually it's kind of a weird thing where you, I always think it's going to be worse than it is. I'm always like, oh, this is going to be really weird and everyone's going to think I'm really weird at this gig. And then I kind of do it and my stuff goes down well and I'm happy. <laughs> I go, oh, actually, this audience wanted something bizarre. <laughs> uh, to be honest, mate, I, I've been gigging for a while and I know a lot of them. I, I like a lot of comedians, but no, actually, no, that's not true. Um, what's it called? About... 75% of them, no, 70% of them are like, 30% of them can eat shit. But um, what's it called? Um, what you're saying about... Yeah, it's... It's... it's um, what you say? You said there's not enough cabaret gigs. Have you done my gig? I saw that you were applying for instant laughs or something. I was applying for it, yeah, my... back in like... When was that? Like back in January, maybe in in real life, yeah. <laughs> in, when we had real gigs, remember that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I yeah. No, I haven't done it. I'd love to. <laughs> oh, I well, I I've, I I I don't not often do the bookings for it. I, it's often I get three other people to run it for me, so I just want to check. But it's, uh, oh, yeah, no, I haven't done it. <laughs> oh, that'd be nice. That'd be uh, really nice. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, you 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 sound quite shocked by what's it called? What's going on with the cases of this abuse by that male comedian, uh, that woman, all that? I'm not surprised because I know a lot of them and I know how sort of sneak I know of them. So I, I'm not surprised by anything. I don't what, think I'm shocked. I don't say, think I'm shocked. I think I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely yeah. not surprised. No, I don't think I'm shocked because I think I'll be honest. I think if I'm really going to kind of let down, let down like the kind of guard of politician, I think like it's any fucking, it's any career where there's going to be straight men in the place. Not even just straight men. It's any career where there's men. Um, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying there's anything where there's, where there's, it's built on patriarchy. It's a, it's, we live, we work in an industry that is built on patriarchy. The problem with Gollier as a school, as a system, is that like it's a via negativa system where women are put in a corner still and it's built on patriarchy and it's still built on men taking up more space than they should. It's, it's, it's not like Gollier is just a weird little reflection of the whole industry where like, of course, that's 
that's the case. And it's uh, like, I'm not surprised by it. I'm not surprised to hear these things are happening. I'm just uh, trying to be optimistic that this is a good time to start people actually having the conversations about it and that maybe when we do get back into a, a world of gigging, it's going to be very different, I hope. Um, but I think we also will be maybe surprised at who, like I said, I think we will maybe be surprised at who doesn't show up at gigs anymore and who isn't invited into circles anymore. I think that still will be like a, a because like you said, you had an, you had this like nice experience with, um, with being, you know, helped out by this person. And then that's the person that's kind of been an inciting thing. Um, so I think it will be, it will, like, it's not surprising that it's happening in our industry by any means. It's not surprising that it's happening at all. Um, but I think it will be surprising when, I don't know. I'm not sure. It will be surprising who doesn't show up anymore, I think. Being, what's it called? being part of the queer community, do you, mm. you must encounter that the racism you receive is probably very quiet, or someone will say things behind your ear, or they'll say it quietly, they won't overtly be homophobic, or be this and that. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing you yeah. must have some trouble yourself from people when you, little comments here and there, maybe even earlier people said, said something, Lachlan, you da -da 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 -da, like whispered something in your ear. Yeah, I think, well, I think that's the thing is that I think actually, yeah, I'm still a man though. And I think there is a weird thing of being like, this is what I'm seeing with these, when women are coming out with these stories at the moment, I'm going, oh, I have never had to face that. Like I've never had to deal with that because I just, because I, and I like, I'll be honest, I'm, like I don't look like a straight man and when I come off of stage I'm oh when I go on stage I'm very aware of that and I'm very aware that like I'm coming on stage and people are having this immediate reaction to like this does not look like a straight man but still I don't look like a woman so I'm very lucky to not be treated in this in this it's just a huge thing that like there is a clear gap when I'm hearing these stories and I'm hearing these very subtle things that happen to women when they come off of stage when they're told wow, you were actually good, or wow, I didn't expect this, and blah, blah, like all of those things. I haven't had to face that. I haven't had that ever, and I'm very lucky to not have to have that. Um, yeah. yeah, and that's bizarre. I'm the one that's going on stage with a puppet. If anyone's going to be told, I didn't expect to like that, it really should be me. <laughs> that, that should be coming at me, not just a woman with a microphone, you know? Um, yeah. So I don't know, but, but you're right. I, I think I've had actually very few gigs comparatively where I've like where I've left and been like there was a it was kind of uh, maybe a homophobic undertone or there was something weird going on there surprisingly not in like the worst gigs I've had have been in like Brighton and places where, where like you, we really expect like a big <laughs> friendly uh very very accepting atmosphere and actually I've had like a lot of more from audiences than from promoters but like have just had some really horrible kind of homophobic audiences and things like that there where you're like oh that's really weird that 
you're in the gay capital and I'm having the worst of it here. But I don't know, that's kind of, yeah, more overt then, I guess. But you're right, I probably, there probably is stuff that goes on behind the scenes and I don't know about. Um, yeah, I don't know. What's, um, I mean, being, I think with all minority groups, unless you're sort of straight, white class, middle class male, that you're going to get some stuff of people. And you must, you must have had a lot of that for your life. Someone saying that you're, oh, you know, you, you're probably used to all the insults by now. And you've probably got a list of comebacks or you've got a list of, oh, this don't hurt me anymore. Say something more original. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's not, um, yeah, maybe that's, that's true. It's probably not surprising. I think it's not surprising, but saying that also, I think it's only been in the last, like, it's only been in the last kind of year that my that I've let my comedy be queer. That's kind of an interesting thing I think that's happened only that's o it's only been very recently and surprisingly because of people I've worked with at Gollier, I think. Um that, that that I've been like, oh I see, I'm allowed to do that. I think I don't have to shy away from like just because it's a puppet thing or because that's already pretty weird and just because I'm doing that just because I'm on a stand-up bill and I'm not a stand-up doesn't mean that I shouldn't also then be unafraid to kind of go to talking about queerness and have that be a big part of what I'm doing and um, just being kind of braver in that and wanting and just and the problem is like you can't not do that when you've done Gollier for a long time I think because the school makes you so aware of who you are it gives you like a big sense of like oh yeah I'm a queer person when, when I go on stage people are aware of that so to sort of not talk about it or to try and kind of pretend that I'm not in order to do comedy that feels kind of acceptable um, is just boring for people. It, it's reducing yourself to nothingness if, you're, if you don't want to admit, like everyone in the room sees that you're a queer person, you know? So it's sort of like, don't, why, why would you not talk about it? Why would you not be, it's, it's like hiding something that everyone knows and then that's just kind of alienating for everyone in the room instead or it's sort of um it's just boring it's making yourself kind of if you're not going to do you then you're doing nothing hmm. it's hmm. interesting what's um yeah it's 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 funny how things no but there's still a lot going on and I think that it's always going to be about, you're always going to have a sphinx ball that's going to try and do something to women. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, that's all. yeah. I, I, I think that's true, but I think we are going to get better at um, just listening, which is that, that's the main thing is like, it's, it's, it's guys like us who haven't done that, who haven't been those men who haven't done that. It takes us, being, it takes us just like not just listening and going oh I'm really sorry that that happened to you but being like oh, I'm not going to work with that person again it just takes that to change a to change a space and to make sure that then when people come to those gigs those people who are the problem are not there like it's it, I agree with you that those men are always going to exist and no matter how much you reduce those things those men are going to find their ways of wriggling in um, but it's about how we listen, I think. There is one thing that does need to be considered, though. Um, there's, if you're throwing accusations, it's very easy for someone to throw accusations like that at someone. So I feel also there needs to, because it 
if someone just saying that could easily demonize someone and what if they're innocent what if like that's that's the issue too so you got to there was a thing in big brother where this woman tried to make one of the guys who's married seem like he was a pervert or this and that to her but he wasn't but she really sort of tarnished him and it, i mean it went back on her but i mean like it's very easy for women to make it up as well that's the issue too it is it uh, it is absolutely but i think we're also in the way that our laws handle cases as it is in the way that our laws uh take care of cases of rape anyway i think we're at a stage where it's just i think believing victims at first is where we need to be it just is the way that we need to be at this point because because so many people are just not are, you know are not believed for so long and and those individual women who do lie are not just women i i shouldn't just say it's women because there's lots of men who i'm sure especially within the queer world who've done the same thing and and there's a lot of men who also might lie about being sexually assaulted by men and that also happens but um there's a lot those people who are lying are they are a problem and it's a problem that is unfortunately this sounds like a really cruel thing to say maybe but that's a smaller problem it's not we're at a place where the issue of believing victims doesn't happen anyway it doesn't happen so we've got to do that first i think i don't i don't know how to speak about this eloquently and to say this in a way which doesn't make it sound like i'm saying kind of fuck those innocent men because i'm not saying that and i think that's not what that is not what should happen but we're not we're just not in the space yet to to be assuming that women are lying that's 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 the problem itself and it's those it's those liars who make it a thousand times harder for victims um yeah i don't know i don't know what else to say on that it's just i don't, I don't think we're ready yet to be like combating the kind of liars first because of the amount of people who just already go unbelieved when they're telling the truth and, and bill burr makes a good joke in it like the saddest way to pick a woman up is to pretend you're a feminist and there's a lot of guys yeah. that are sort of posting it, sharing it, like they're saying, oh, this is outrageous or that. But in their mind, some of them are crookie and they're thinking yeah. those things. And they, they're yeah. gonna, what they're, what they're going to do is they're going to say, oh, that guy did that to you, oh, he's so horrible. Let's have a hug. I'll walk you home. Oh, and then she goes, oh, he's a nice guy, this and that. And then, yeah, there's a lot of that that's yeah. going to happen too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, you see that in... In, even within the Gollier. Gollier is such a tiny bubble, but you see that within there as well. Like that's again, a thing which I think countless times I've seen that happen within that bubble as well of being like, look at all the nice men here. Look at these lovely guys who are oh, feminists yes. in this bubble. And and, I, and again, I think it's a lot of sleazy behavior that goes on. Oh, oh I know a lot of them for who they are. Well, I, that's, I know a lot of them for who they are. It's, it, well, no, not, not all the, do you think all the women are actually duped by it or do you think they're just pretending? <laughs> I think, no, I, I, I have to say, I think 
I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for the women. I have no idea what they're thinking. Um, but I know, I know that there are women who, um, who know, who are aware of what's happening and who are good at like uh, being like, I need a safe walk home because it's night, and then being good at being like, no, you can't come in by. I should say they are like. I think a lot of them are more uh, more tuned in than these men think that they are to start with it, no there is a lot it's, it did surprise me that some people actually believe some of them are nice because some of them are definitely not nice uh, shall i name names or shall i not let's not name names i don't know yeah i don't know <laughs> god i don't know about that but yeah maybe 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 it's time for that maybe not here maybe not in this but you i think a friend of mine a gollier person said um we just need a big list don't we and i just went yeah that is true i know it sounds really simplistic but we just need a bloody big list that we can just be like Oh yeah, don't book that person anymore. Nope, nope, nope. Like just like no, it or not even about booking them, but just yeah, being like, oh, cool. I know that person's a bit shady. I know what they've done with my friends. Cool. Ooh. I don't need to. Yeah, it's just a funny little school in a way. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's for me as a whole. It's a bit. Um, no, uh, my favourite people there are probably Shanice. Um, do you know her, the Singaporean woman? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love her. Yeah. She's really funny. I saw her do um, a, a really funny thing at Lost Cabaret a few weeks back. Um, yeah, she's really cool. I didn't get to see her, I don't think, on stage very much when she was doing Le Jeu, but, um But I think, yeah, I've been following some of the stuff she's been doing. And she's funny. It's, um, yeah. It's what's it called? I've forgotten already. What were we talking about again? <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> what was this about? Oh, um, yeah. Yes, about it's, it's, oh, about yeah, about fake plasticine stuff. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's it's the, no, but they're they're quite weak and pretend like blokes as well. They're not real men. They're 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 quite weak and placid. Type of characters. Yeah, there's a weird, yeah, there's a weird thing about like, um, I also think I've had it a lot more, it's, it's kind of weird because I did some fringes before I went to the school and then kind of just grew up a bit, I guess, in the time between. So that when I kind of went back to do fringes in this country, after doing first year, I was then so much more alert of just like, oh my god the people who keep winning all these awards at fringes are the same people who are like those guys in the gollier bubble and they're these you know they're like these oxford guys and they've you know it's 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 weird it's a weird thing it feels like there's a lot of praise and love for these men who never not had praise and love i think um i spoke to what did you know of lions yeah, well, I don't know her actually. I've never met her. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm an absolute fan. What's what's her stand up like? I saw a video of her. She does a lot of funny voice and movements. But I've been doing a few courses with her. And she's oh, a... cool. Oh, cool. She's very cool. I'm. I yeah. She's one of those people that like that. Be especially before Gollier, I was kind of aware of her and saw her stuff and was like, what? one of those people that you're like where did she learn to do this and then you're like oh god okay I guess I have to go to Gollier <laughs> I guess if I want to be good I've got to go like yeah she's very very good very talented yeah she was all right I had, I had a chat with her she was trying to help with this and that I got a bit nervous though she was a bit too inquisitive 
when someone's too inquisitive, I get nervous. <laughs> I, like, I don't like being too open with people. She was a, yeah. Well, I can be like that. <laughs> I don't like that. I like to keep people at a distance because you don't know what people are. That's like, true. Yeah, it's, it is weird. I think, uh, yeah, I think I'm similar in that, like, it's taken me a long time to, um, to start working with other people, especially in, like, in the ventriloquist stuff. Like, it's taken me so long to, to find people that I actually want to kind of have direct me and things like that, because I just think I don't trust anyone. And it does feel like being in on that process then feels like letting them into, like, a lot of stuff. It feels like letting them in on, like, a whole world of, of you stuff. And they are going to be inquisitive and um i'm quite lucky i started working with um you know lorna who's, who was in my class um oh she she was always a nice girl she seemed she seemed all right but it's really cool really cool know, she she deleted on me a facebook for some reason i don't know no <laughs> no. <laughs> no i'm i'm not saying bad or anything i just don't oh, know no, what happened i don't know oh. Oh, you have to ask her about it. She's very cool. Um, I started work. She she directed my show before Christmas, and it was kind of one of those things where you're like, I'm it was one of the first people that I've worked with where I've been like, this is a good collaboration. I feel really excited about this, and it's not. And I feel like I want to let them poke those kind of questions and be a bit more inquisitive because I think I trust that this is that they understand what I'm trying to do or they understand kind of the. Um, the thing I'm going for but it's rare it's really it's good to be aware that that's rare and not let those people and just like take your space I think that's a big thing that I've kind of been learning I think in the last few years is just like you don't need just because someone's successful doesn't mean that they're going to help you or that they're useful to you as an artist and like it's good to it's good to know what you can you know get from them in a kind of professional sense but that doesn't mean that in an artistic sense you're going to get anything from them it doesn't mean that they're going to fulfill or help you find anything and like that you just have to take that space and know when it's your when it's your right to be like nah this is my work I don't need I don't really need you to like give your notes or give your and there's a big thing in comedy I, I found this at stand-up gigs actually that there's a big thing where like people will come up to you afterwards and just and just be like can I tell you what, what you did well or not even ask but just be like I've got notes on what you did and I just I think there's something in that that's really interesting to not to not ask if you've uh, if you want that feedback I think it's just, it's a weird thing of being like I well I, I'm sort of I, you know I, I kind of know who I trust I kind of know whose opinions I want and I yeah I don't know it, I, all feedback is good I understand like why you should really want to hear what people are saying but i think also if if it feels like someone's kind of under selling you and your kind of sense of awareness it feels like they think you don't have the right level of self-awareness to leave a gig and be like i know what went well i know what I, what bits really hit i know what bits i need to work on when someone's like let me tell you what worked and you're like oh well I did it like I know <laughs> I know what worked <laughs> the audience either laughed or didn't um yeah I don't know there's something kind of interesting in that and I think it's something it, it would be nice to kind of normalize asking people if they want notes it's cool to like be like hey I have some opinions do you want to know but it's kind of weird to just insist that you're enough of a 
an artistic genius that you can come and like tell me what needs working on. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I think it, if it's, they're too forceful, then it's a bit you don't know. But I mean, it depends on who it's coming from. And also, I think it's good to go and look for feedback in a way. But sometimes the ones that are doing it aren't really always the smart. Yeah, I don't know. It's, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. Who's doing it? You have to assess who the yeah, person is. Yeah. As you yeah. said, that's what you do there. Um, one thing I want to talk about is how did you? Um, what's it called? Uh, how do you deal with um, how how is how have your values changed during your like this? We reach the impasse, and I, I what I'm doing making a theme of the podcast is I want to get to know the person, and I'm going to ask. There's about three or four questions that I'll ask. So one of them okay. is, what? How have your values changed during your lifetime? Oh, interesting. Um... God, that's a really interesting one. During lockdown, or or ever. <laughs> no, how has it changed during the years? So yeah, let's let's say let's in the life. Yeah. Oh. Um... So let's make it specific. How has the lockdown changed you? What's what's your mindset now? What what's? Well, I guess even just. Um since the start, I guess, kind of knowing that I don't have to create constantly. It's been a really weird thing for like, I think previously in, in my life, I've always thought if I'm not productive, um, well, I've just been very depressed when I'm not productive. <laughs> like that's kind of a typical thing is to just like, when I'm not doing stuff, I'm used to this kind of behavior pattern of not doing stuff, getting depressed, then continuing to not do stuff. Um, so I think that's why kind of the past few years I've just like been so proactive and just have like not stopped. And then I think I had this kind of sense of identity where it's like, I'm this really productive person now. I'm just this person who's incredibly, like incredibly productive and gets stuff done. So then when this all started and I went, I kind of don't want to do anything. I genuinely don't necessarily want to make stuff. That doesn't mean that I haven't made stuff, but like it's taken me ages to get to the point where I'm comfortable with being like, no, there's a pandemic happening and I can take this time to not do things. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm failing or that I'm not productive as a person. It just means not doing stuff right now. And um, so I guess just being cool with that and knowing that it's not, it doesn't mean you're having to slip into depression or something. You can just actually take a break and I'm getting quite good at that. I guess that's something. Um, and because yeah. I sort of don't judge other people for taking breaks, I think. So it's kind of learning to not do that to yourself and being like, if other people say that they don't want to make stuff for a while and that they're going to do, they're going to just use this time to learn things or read or whatever, like then I wouldn't judge them for that. So why am I judging myself so harshly for not making videos or not doing gigs online? And yeah, kind of just being cool with, with not doing it for a bit. Yeah. What, what else do you want to talk about? Yes. Um, what, um, what, what is a quote that you live your life by? What's it one quote that's inspired you and that you want to live your life by? Oh, oh God. Um, 
I was thinking about this one yesterday, actually. This is quite a good one. Um, I'm trying to think how it goes, but it's one that I put, I think, in at the start of one of my books, actually. And it's like a writer lives in a state of astonishment beneath any, it's, I think it says beneath any sense of good or evil, a writer has a deeper state of just wonder at everything. And I think I'm feeling that a lot at the moment. I think that's a really interesting one. I don't know if, that, if I live my life by it, but it's something which like, I don't think I choose to live my life by it. I think it is kind of just true of how I feel a lot of the time. And it's quite a, a true one for right now with all everything that's just happening in the world. It just feels like it's this thing of underneath any sense of moral, any underneath any sense of morality and like what is right and what is wrong and whose side am I on? Is this just state of, of kind of feeling so surprised at the world and just like just having to take it as someone who has no no gauge of what's right or wrong in this kind of innocent state of just going I am just taking in the world and how kind of overwhelming it is right now and and just letting that kind of wash over me a little bit before choosing to kind of gauge a sense of good or evil I guess I just I, I don't know if, if other writers kind of feel that too but I think that's something which I kind of have felt very strongly recently is that it's having to kind of have that objectivity to start with that lies underneath everything before before kind of being able to even comprehend choosing a side or whatever of course there's a sense of morality of course i know what's good and bad <laughs> i just mean it's like yeah this this kind of overwhelmed state that comes before everything um but what so but what is the quote if you like there's quotes like live your life like you're the hero of the, your own movie but what's what's your what's your what's the quote that you want to live your life by um i'm i'm trying to find that one i can't remember who said that that one that i just said but um i guess oh god it's gonna sound horrible to say to say one by Philippe now, I don't want to sound like I'm that much of one of the kind of cult members. <laughs> um, but Philippe did say in first year this thing about kind of, I think he said, you should not want, you have to not want too much and you need to be able to find seven beautiful things every day. And I think that's something which I have lived my life by for quite a while. And that certainly kind of helped me find a healthier mental state in the world, I think. Um, but it's kind of little things, I think, that should bring you pleasure before everything else. Before you can kind of aim for kind of these big dreams that you have for the world. If you, if you can't find seven beautiful things every day, why should you be the person on stage offering to bring joy to other people? I think is a really interesting thing. Um, so that's probably, my, that's probably the thing I live by, I guess, as a mantra is like finding seven beautiful things every day. Oh, and and then actually, um, Philippe's wife said this thing. This is something I've lived by for ages. But Michiko said this thing at, towards the end of town, where she was like, "Everyone is waiting for an excuse to be happy, and you have to be happy for no reason at all." And I think that's something which I've been really trying to. It's it's a really bloody hard one at the moment to kind of live by, but um, but I think that's kind of a really cool one that I like a lot as an idea of like. Just, and that's what clown is, I guess, as a thing, is like this idiot who wakes up and is just happy and just has no basis for that, has no excuse to be happy and has to be genuinely quite ignorant to like a lot of bad stuff, um, but just is happy and like for absolutely no reason at all. Um, 
I quite like that one as well. You just have to be happy for no reason. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. And what what's what's um, what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, um, you are still quite young, twenty one. Yeah, yeah. Um, God, that's a really good one. I I think. Um, wow, I, so that's such a hard one. Um, I think I'd say, um, I think I'd like to go back to kind of myself at like 15 maybe and be like, you don't, you don't know who you are yet and that's good. I think that's something which I'd, I'd like to, to be able to tell my younger self is like stop trying to build up any sense of identity because when you, because I think that's a, a really refreshing thing is when you get to like maybe 19 and you start to realize you have no idea who you actually are. And then you, and then you start to find who you actually are because you're sort of like in this state of just being like, I have no idea. And I'm just going to let myself kind of plod around in the world and then, and let people kind of tell me who I am. I'm not going to tell other people who I am. I don't need to do that really. Um, it's just, I think I would, I wish I could tell my younger self to stop trying to build up kind of layers of identity, I think. Um, because none of it's, it's just all like putting a kind of weird prison on yourself and it's just restri it restricts you so much to try and tell others who you are and, and kind of put yourself in that box. I think it's easier to just like let yourself exist. You, you will know who you are and you'll lose it again and then you'll shave your head and then <laughs> and think that your identity changed. It's always you. You're always yourself. You're always that same person that you were as a kid even. Um, and all the rest of it is just like this stuff you're putting on top of yourself and just piling yourself in under such like heavy ideas of, of being a person. I kind of wish I could tell, I think myself at like 15, 16, I wish I could just be like, you don't know who you are and it's fine. No one, no one does. No one does, especially at your age. It doesn't bloody matter. Um, what's, um, what's that question? What's, um, yeah what um what what would you rather be in terms of like being successful would you rather be someone that goes through a struggle and makes it after a long journey or would you rather have fame given to you and it be quick but you have a lot lot shorter career but it doesn't mean anything but you get there way easier Oh, I suppose the struggle. I suppose that. It, we, but I think we all want to think that, don't we? I think everyone wants to think that they're like the noble one that would rather not have things handed to them. I think I do want, I think even just like redefining success. I don't know that like fame, huge fame is like the real, and I think because of the internet, even that is like a totally new concept. There's what even, I don't even know what fame is anymore. I really have no sense of like what would be what would be fame that would make me happy now because I think it used to be a bit clearer this idea like when you get to be on TV and you've got like 20,000 people who, who will come and watch your show in a year, that's being famous, like that's being successful. But now it's like, well, you can do a TikTok and, and like 7,000 people share it. And then is that success? Is that fame? I don't even like, not really, but it's, 
this there's this new measure of fame and everything now so i think it's really hard to like define what would be that like 15 minutes of fame if, if something was going to happen to you quickly and you were going to suddenly be kind of catapulted into a successful life would it be like through a viral video would it be something like that because it's just like i don't know that i want that at all i don't know that that's really how i would i don't like even then i'm not sure i'd feel like i earned it um but then yeah i don't know i guess i think probably the struggle one because i think you probably have much better you'd have a much better sense of self you'd probably have a much better sense of who your friends are in the world you'd have a much better sense of um you'd probably enjoy it more, I'd say. You'd probably enjoy that success more if it hasn't just happened to you and you feel like it's something you've genuinely worked for and you're like, and now I'm here and I and I know that this, even just knowing how like fleeting that might be is even good for you, I guess. Even just knowing that like that might not last, that might not be more than, you know, a year, but but knowing that you've like, you've got a lot to fall back on then. If, if that then goes absolutely horrendously wrong, you've had that struggle. So you know that there are good people in the world that can look out for you and that you'll work again and you'll have those people behind you. I think it'd be really scary to be um, suddenly famous, especially at a young age, I think. Um, I kind of feel for a lot of these like, influencers at the moment who are having to they're just being called out like left right and center for problematic things and it's true that they need to learn that those things are not okay but they have there has been nobody their entire life telling them please don't wear that it's appropriative or please don't get that you know please please don't um say that word because it's not okay for you to say it. No one has told them that and then they've become famous and they're still children. And like, that's a scary place to be in, uh, you know, really. Um, so I'd say, no, it's, I, I don't think I want that. <laughs> Seems like a really weird um, existence to be thrown into. So, so you want to, you want to go for this struggle if you had a choice? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. You never know till the fruits given. You never to... know. You never know till you're deep into the struggle, and then you go, "When is something going to happen to me?" <laughs> it's it's like it's like someone saying, "What's it called?" Here's here's Sarah. Um, she's not as good looking at the moment, but if you get to know her in twenty years, she'll taste. Wait what, what a second. Let me rephrase that. You'll have a much better relationship, more fulfilling experience if you stay over long term, or you go with Julia. She's equipped in every area. You have a one minute of pleasure, but your rest of life is going to be a misery. But she'll taste. She'll be really tempting, and you can't have that for a bit. It's like comparing someone. Would you like to have vegetables, or would you like to have McDonald's for it? It's 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 that sort of thing. And the majority yeah. of people probably would choose McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. That's why a lot of. Yeah, but I think I think in a way that's I think that's why I like that that thing that Philippe said I think like that's what I get about that quote is that it's like understanding that what you're if you want the success and you want that like you you have this dream of what you're going to be as a as a comedian as an artist you've got to hang on to that as this slightly more precious thing maybe and that's why you need the struggle to really understand 
having that dream. And then the seven beautiful things is the like, it's kind of, that's kind of the McDonald's, I think. I think it's like being like, still understand that this dream and this like idea of everything you've ever wanted is not all that exists. That's not all the good that you're going to have in your life. And all the other stuff that comes along the way, all those little things that you're going to pick up from other people, the kind of relationships you're going to have with people along the way, the kind of adventures you're going to have from just, even if you go and do a fringe festival and it's awful and you do the worst show ever and you don't make any, you lose all your money. What if you have just an amazing time and you, and you go and have this, you know, you get to see a beautiful place and you get to see other shows that really inspire you. All of that is like the seven beautiful things that like, they're still feeding you. You're being fed by other stuff besides your own success. You're being fed by this other, quicker it's like it is it's mcdonald's in that it's like it's it's quicker in fulfilling you it's quicker in giving you something it's not having to wait for this amazing mystical kind of ethereal dream but like short-term small things that keep you happy and learning that you have to you need those to kind of counter the struggle of working towards this bigger thing all right well thank you very much for appearing on the podcast um take care of that clan and um yeah i'll probably post this in a probably a week or two i'll send you a link and yeah do you have anything you want to say to people any messages any to say hello to mom and dad what, what's what's going on <laughs> um nope I'm, I'm living with my mum. I don't need to. <laughs> she knows. She knows I'm here. <laughs> it's all good. I'm going to say, uh, everyone, uh, you don't need to be productive right now if you don't feel like being <laughs> productive. You can wait until real gigs happen <laughs> if you want. <laughs> okay. Take care, like Len, and I'll see you soon. You too. Thanks, Marvin. Wow.